0: Welcome, I'm Dr. Liz, an entrepreneur, speaker, podcaster, mom, and wife. This podcast is about hypnosis, but also about all kinds of ways to help you live your fullest life, to heal, transform, to play the long game and go after the joy. You can see more about me at drlizhypnosis.com. Hop over there to get a free hypnosis file to decrease fear and anxiety, or one to increase emotional stability. They're there just for you. I hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I do. Peace. Hi, everyone. Dr. Liz here. Just a quick note that Dr. Hahn talks about some pretty violent themes in this episode, death and suicide and abuse. He talks about the healing components of that as well, but I just wanted to let you know in case you weren't really in the mood for that today, or I don't really want someone triggered without um, giving them the heads up. So there's 232 other episodes of mine that you could listen to on the Hypnotize Me podcast. Otherwise, I hope you find this episode truly helpful for your life or for someone you love. Peace.
1: okay you look really good i gotta tell you i mean, like your Aww. energy is really lovely i mean Thank maybe you. that's not supposed to be on the recording but it's true
0: okay well you know i edit, so
1: able <laughs> yeah, edit. yeah they should know it's like they should know. <laughs>
0: great well well I feel good I have been looking forward to this interview for weeks actually or really since you scheduled it which puts it in months right so mm-hmm. I was like oh I'm so happy to talk to Andy on Monday I was really truly like looking forward to it so that's I probably why it looks so good
2: wow. all
0: right so, welcome, Dr. Andy Hahn to the Hypnotize Me Podcast. Can you let our listeners know some about your background before we jump more specifically into your new book?
1: Sure. Um, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. Um, my background basically is I' have a doctorate in clinical psychology and then about four years after that I had this really wild healing through touch experience and that led me to explore so many different things um, about uh, mysteries and energy and spirituality and and then and the Enneagram which I love and then um, I found this woman who had put together craniosacral therapy and her original research on trauma. And she was one of Callahan's original students. So she was an energy person and an NLP person. And we became colleagues and uh, developed what she calls healing from the body level up. And what we get that point called guided self healing, which is now called life-centered therapy. So I've been doing life-centered therapy essentially now for 28 years. Although we didn't call it that at the beginning. And
0: uh, it's a long time. I'm always impressed when you say it, it's really self-healing. And your new book is actually a guide for self-healing. Like you don't really need to see anybody.
1: Um, it depends. I like doing it with people. I'm like, you know, I'm I like having so it, it really gives you a choice. It gives you the foundations of whatever you need to do for your own self-healing, and you can describe it in in a minute and a, and a smart elementary school student understands it
2: mm-hmm. i've also
1: been doing it for 28 years and i'm still learning stuff i learned some stuff this morning so it's it's one of those things that you can do totally with yourself and i still prefer you know having somebody else there because you know it creates a different field so uh, yeah i yeah. mean i
0: i agree there is some self healing i can do for myself but there's others That I I mean, I really can't. I mean, some people will say philosophically, when you see a therapist or hypnotherapist or you do energy healing, like all healing is self healing. But I don't quite agree with that actually. Like, I think the person on the other side, whether they're functioning as your guide or a channel or whatever it is, is actually very important to the process. And there's certainly things I could not have gotten to by myself alone
1: yeah um well yeah i think so too i think actually um our role as guides is actually um to really learn as much as we can from the inside out from the bottom up, everything we can about life Mm -hmm. because i think life is the true healing force
2: Mm.
1: and life i think is a living being and i think we are and as we are part of life in the same way that the cells in our body and Us are the same. So, you know, it's like.
0: That's an awesome perspective because so many people feel like life is just like beating them down, not the healing force. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I think what it is, is uh, we're trying to get to a place where there's no such thing as beating down.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That there's no judgment about it and that we just become alive no matter what. And uh, that's very hard to do to take the perspective that really is much broader than our sort of uh, self-oriented, I mean, small self-oriented perspective to say that there's this evolutionary process that's happening and can we line up with it? And if we line up with it, then uh, there's nothing really to be scared of. It's just the question of how hard it is just to do that very simple thing to say, you know, of course, I'm uh, this mystical idea that I'm a cell and the beingness of the body called life. And that I have my particular contributions and challenges and uh, I am life. So life can't beat me down or build me up. It's just, can I really be in alignment with it? And I think all we do as guides actually is we become experts on life and not experts mm-hmm. on the person. So people come to us and they think that there's something wrong and they put us up. And I say like, you know, you're the you're the expert in your own life you're the one who knows everything about it my job is to to understand to stand under and to uh, give you an opportunity to give words to what it is that you can discover about yourself if you have the space to do it and my job basically is not to know what's best for you and not to fix anything, but to learn everything I can about life so I can say, you know, there might be this thing that you have some senses there, but you've never experienced it because you never even thought about it. So how could you possibly think about the fact that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, your great-great-grandmother in your father's side, something horrific happened to them and they couldn't handle it. And of course you are your great-great-grandmother in your father's side, or you are some you know man who was in the french revolution who had his head chopped off and he couldn't handle it or whatever you are until you can get to a place of just saying i surrender and i hand my soul over to something larger
2: Mm -hmm. and then
1: of course you know you don't rail against life you don't say why has why have you forsaken me life
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. why have you done
1: this to me like, you know, I was a good person you, you treated them better. You treat me like, shit. anyway, you just say yeah. like, it's just like, it's just part of the deal. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. It is and offering a different perspectives and that those perspectives will vary practitioner to practitioner, right, depending on who they are and what they know about life.
1: But, I think that's true. But that's why I think our role as practitioners is to learn everything you can about life, but be not attached to anything. Mm, and, that's
0: that's uh, a hard part for me i'll tell you to be non-attached to anything
1: yeah i think it's hard for most practitioners because most practitioners have a real hard time with their own sense of powerlessness
0: oh yeah so, yeah
1: can... <laughs> it's
0: funny i was talking to and doing some consultation with like a, a new practitioner is mm-hmm. actually she, we had gone to grad school together but she's come back into the field after many many years away mm-hmm. and um you know, she was saying how, like, she needs to be helpful, like, every single session. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I have a mentor who's, like, 30 years older than me that said, one time I said to him, you know, I do feel powerless. Like, I don't think I help this person. Like, you know, and he's like, help? <laughs> you're not there to help them. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> he's yeah. like, no, no, you're there to be present, to listen. To ask the right questions and basically what you were saying before to offer the new perspective, who knows if you're going to help them or not. You know, it was a, a more lengthy conversation than that.
1: Yeah. I think your mentor, whoever that was, is to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but he, I think it's totally true. Our job is not to help anybody.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which our job is to be with somebody. Yeah.
0: To be with someone. Right. And, yes.
1: Uh, to Join them on a journey and to listen really carefully to their journey.
0: To listen. Correct. Yeah.
1: But it's not, it's, uh, it's because as soon as you think your job is to help somebody, then you're attached to a result. And as soon as you're attached to the result, it may happen, but it won't really happen.
2: Well,
0: you're attached to the result for yourself too. It's what occurs to me, right? Like I need to help someone. It's about me. It's not about them really. Like what do they need? They may or may not need me to quote unquote, help them. They may need me just to be present, but it's like tuning into what they need. Essentially. That's true.
1: Yeah. Well, if, if we want something from our clients, even if it's the opportunity to help people, uh-huh. you know, then of course our focus is going to be on ourselves. And I think for most practitioners, the hardest thing is to do it from the pure land of like non attachment. I mean, like we all have our personalities, like, you know, I, crave connection. I crave being special. I crave approval.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like, and I get a lot of it and I have to keep watching because it's not why I'm supposed to be there. I'm mm-hmm. supposed to be there just to be uh, including me and myself if I get stuck. You know,
2: stuck yes. There.
0: Yeah. And from like, you know, I am an aware of the client perspective, even for myself of wanting someone to help me. Like when I'm going to them, like, you know, why am I laying out all this money if you're not going to help me? help me you know it's definitely like (laughs) run through my mind before when uh when I've been to therapy myself um but you know I think for the listeners it's like there is a a philosophical underpinning there that Andy and I are discussing of um how do you actually affect that help right or not right (laughs) I don't know I'm getting a little bit in circles for myself here um
1: well, at least yeah. you're not a square.
0: So that yeah. <laughs> no, no, I've never been no. accused of being a square. I will say that. Oh, you're
1: you're circles, <laughs> right. Well, you we know where this conversation was going to go. We
0: like, <laughs> really didn't. Yeah. Um, so speaking of help and helping yourself, you have the new book, the one hour miracle. Yeah. Yes. All right. That is an ambitious yes. title, Andy.
1: <laughs> the one hour well, miracle. Well, Uh, Yeah, it was an ambitious title. Um, How do I say this well? um, It was not our choice of title. Um, We can live with the choice of title. Um, We had other ideas about it, but um, our agent actually came up with that title, having read our book proposal. He had read one half of, clearly one half of one of our uh, sample chapters. And he said, Oh my God! You know you're talking about miracles, and you should have something—the one-hour miracles, like the 50-minute manager, the 10-minute whatever.
2: And like, <laughs> True. And we,
1: and we thought, well, well, we can, we can like go with that for the time being, because we thought when we got to the publishing company, we could say, well, we have this other idea, you know, like, uh, uh well, we had some other titles, we, uh-huh. uh, and they were so attached to this title, they loved it so much. So we said, well, all right, so. Um, then we had a problem because we, we like, um, promising too little and delivering too much. And yes, that- <laughs> myself <laughs> as <laughs> well, <right?
0: laughs> speaking hour. of like not helping, I'm not going to help yeah. you at all, but I promise yeah. I'll overdeliver.
1: deliver. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, then we had to, you know, then it's like, then we have to say, well, what is the miracle? Right. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's not just my book. So that's the first thing to say. It's a co-authored book with a woman named Joni Beckett. And, uh, you know, we run our institute together and it was a real collaboration, and labor of love. Um, But uh, uh, so I just wanted to say that because Mm -hmm. uh, we both brought our gifts and our challenges. And I think it's way better that we wrote it together. Uh, One hour miracle. Well, the thing is, what's a miracle, right?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. What's really a miracle? Well, there's two kinds of miracles. One is like the things you hear about in the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, oh my God, they touched me and my pain went away. Uh True. Well, we do get we do get sessions like that. I mean, you know, I mean, the first you know session we talk about in the book is a woman who had had a terrible accident and had been in chronic pain for seven years and had been all over the world trying to get help. And nothing touched it and it went away in 25 minutes and never came back. And her pain was really, I mean, it was so bad that, you know, it's it's good. Joni was there because like, she thinks I can be hyperbolic, you know? So it's like, but she was there and she said, this is amazing because this woman's pain that had been there for seven years. She said she was there in this little demonstration we did and she said, I'm sorry, but I'm gonna to have to stand up every few minutes because I can't sit down because I'm in excruciating pain. Mm-hmm. And uh we found the story of of we found out di- diagnostic, we do a determination that even though it seemingly was physical because of her accident. No one could explain why, even though she had this terrible accident, that her pain never really changed. And it's because it wasn't about the accident. The accident was actually an unconscious reenactment of something that you could say happened two thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. And life gives us—you know—it's the law of attraction. We attract to ourselves exactly what we need in order to heal and grow. Mm. Just sometimes it isn't so um, ego gratifying.
0: Yeah, pleasant physically. <laughs>
2: You
1: know, and when we take care of those things, then we can really be in alignment with life and then we can kind of get things that do that. But, you know, until we do that. But anyway, she had this story that was an amazing story of of a betrayal of trust that we write about in the book. And when she transformed that story. All her back pain went away in 25 minutes, Mm -hmm. and which was stunning to her, because when she got done, she said, could I sit down for a few minutes before I have to stand up again? And she started talking about the experience. And she also told us how this accident, what happened in the accident, which was an exact replica of, Uh you know, an echo of what happened, quote unquote, 2,000 years ago. Except, of course, what happened 2,000 years ago was worse. But Mm -hmm. we don't realize that unconsciously, which is really what goes on when we say our beliefs create reality of course they do it's the beliefs we do not aware of that create realities that we need in order to heal and grow and to remember yeah you know? so we could say i could i can now master what i couldn't handle before and that's mm-hmm. that is a real miracle and it doesn't matter if you know it's you know you have this result that looks like the bible where you know someone's pain that nothing is touched for seven years goes away or it's like the slope Process of like climbing a mountain of getting freer and freer from the things you're compulsive about, which yeah. are seemingly smaller miracles, but they're just as miraculous, you know. So when Absolutely. you're free from saying, you know, when you when, if you get to a place where you as a practitioner say, "I'm free from this need to help someone," mm-hmm. I'm free. I can just be with them. Well, it's a miracle?
0: That is. I'm not. I'm not quite there yet, but. <laughs> It will feel like wasn't well, quite there, you know.
1: It's like, you know, it's like, you know, yeah.
0: it's like, but I, I will tell you about a slower, a slower growing miracle. Let's say, oh, good,
1: I'd um, love to hear about it. Yeah,
0: okay, all right. So, when we did our first interview, it was December of
1: 2019,
0: so about a year ago. This is gonna air in February
1: That's- of. That was 2020, right? Don't do this. Was it 2020? Me. A year ago, because it's 2022. so Oh my God, ago, 2020. 20... Sorry. Don't do this. <laughs> You're totally right. 2020. I, you know, psychosis. I, time does that, you know? It's like 2019, 1932. Little... <laughs> it does. 1932. Right?
0: <laughs> To me, the pandemic happened in 2019 for some reason. Like, yes. I don't know why or how, but anyway, it was 2020. Um, so it was a little over a year ago, let's say. And my yeah. primary question was why my children suffer so much. Like I want my children to suffer less. And over the the course of uh, the past year, like neither one of them is suicidal anymore. They're both feel like very happy in their lives. They, um, Yeah, that's a miracle for me. And and I think it was uh, this direct result of some of the work we did. Like, not that I didn't do some of the practical stuff, too, to get them some help they needed and all of this stuff. But it was like this persistent suicidality that was going on in them that has been lifted. Like I get, I get emotional <laughs> talking about Me it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that is like a, a slower, a slower growing miracle that I feel like has just happened in the last year or so, but I, I think it was a result. And for anyone who wants to go back and listen to that, that's episode 189. So it did air in December of 2020, <laughs> not 2019. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. And it's on YouTube too, if you want to search it up, because I very rarely air video. In fact, I think that's the only video I've ever aired of the podcast. But since we were doing the work live, I decided to air the video. So it's really interesting. You so yes.
1: Gift. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, absolutely. We both did. We both did. I felt like I got a gift that day. So in my children, my children, I mean, you know, it's going to affect them for generations.
1: Well, there you go. It's true.
0: So there are these like slower growing miracles and then there's the the faster one, just like that. It happens in an hour or so.
1: Well, we work for an hour and, you know, it's uh, so something shifted and, you know, it's like you plant something and then amazing stuff grows.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yes.
1: So, you know, you can tell me about the book better than I can tell you about it because you know it firsthand.
0: Oh my gosh. It was one of those books that it's like, I've got to stop highlighting because I am highlighting the entire book. You know, it's like when you highlight the entire book, it sort of becomes useless, right? Like just read the book again, Elizabeth, when you need something. So it was really, really good. I like how you broke it up into, what do you call them? Patterns, these different patterns that people have?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes. What are some of the common patterns that you think like a listener would be interested in?
1: We have three kinds of patterns, right? So one is called single center patterns, and I think your listeners will be interested in those because those are traumas that affect primarily one center, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So your head is about beliefs. So when you're not when you're not traumatized in the head center, what you believe and what you know are totally aligned, but there's no judgmentalism.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But when a trauma to the head is when you believe something and you know on a deeper level is it isn't true and you have some kind of judgmentalism or comparison or compulsive need to understand why it's happening or any of those things so for example if i say um i believe i'm unworthy of love and then i say on a deeper level i say everyone's worthy of love, but i don't believe i am mm-hmm. and i have judgment or i have anxiety or i have guilt or shame then that's a trauma in the head because if if you're not then The belief that you're unworthy can turn into humility, right? Mm -hmm. And then it can serve, but as long as there's, you know, no judgment about it. And the heart center, trauma to the heart, when when your heart is aligned, you're able to feel whatever you're feeling in the moment, in its proper context, and your choice about expression. But if not, then you won't let yourself feel something, right? Mm. You'll either deny it or you'll turn it into a different feeling or you'll displace it. Mm -hmm. And you're not a choice about expression. And so the work is to be able to say, no, I'm really feeling this in the moment. And this is exactly what I'm and then I have choice about what I choose to do with that. And so that's the second center, you know, of this first category, which we call single center, right? Mm -hmm. And then the third one is the belly and the belly is about boundaries. It's also about physicality. So a lot of stuff that is a trauma in the belly center also shows up as, you know, physical illnesses, but it's really about boundaries. And when your belly center is balanced, it means you're the master of your ship, so to Mm -hmm. speak. And you get to choose what goes in and what comes out. Your boundaries are permeable. But if not, then they're either too rigid or they're too porous and they can be around content areas, mm-hmm. you know, or it can be around a particular person or it can be in general. And so healing those is to be able to say, I get to be a choice about things and that I don't have to keep things too much out or let things too much in or vice versa. That's all it is. So Got that's it. the first yeah. category we call it single center. And yeah. there's a second category which in the book is well, called let me Triple Center. Pause for a
0: minute before we. When you say content, that's like sex, food, money, gam- yeah, gambling, sex, money,
1: food. Yes, okay. all of those things would be content, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to you could have something that affects all of those things mm-hmm. or, or, You know, or you could have something that affects you around a particular person. So every place else, you're fine with sex, food, and money, but you're around one person and suddenly you're not. So it's really about not the content. Well, (laughs) but without a particular person, right? Yes. So then you'd have a boundary issue with that person. It's like, oh my God, you know, the rest of my life, I'm fine. But when I'm around him, it's like I lose all control. Yes. And so then it would not be around the content. It would be around whatever comes up with him when you're around him. Got it. Um, Okay. So that's the first category. Okay. Single center. The second category of these three is called triple center. And those are themes that are universal themes and they affect really all three centers. It means you believe a lot of things that you know aren't true. It means that it will affect a lot of things in terms of feelings and um, not being able to be a choice. And it will affect a lot of boundary issues. And they come in two realms. So there's the material realm, triple center, and there's the non material realm. And material realm, triple center patterns are um well we all know one pattern I mean everyone does it's called Freud's Oedipal I mean you say the Oedipal and everyone's heard of the Oedipal right well what's the Oedipal it's really a pattern and it's it's he thinks it's universal and it's not universal but it is true I mean there's a truth to that pattern a truth to it Mm
2: -hmm. which is
1: what is that pattern about it's it's a universal theme which is about desires, forbidden desires, and that you're going to be punished for forbidden desires. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you could really strip it down and say, you know, if you were going to induct somebody into it, you'd say they come in and they say, I have what's called a conversion reaction, which means I can't use my hand and I have trouble with authority. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I have trouble with my, I trouble with sexuality with my partner and all these things. And you could find out that all of those things were folded into this one theme of a forbidden wish and then the fear of punishment. And if you could transform that theme theoretically, all of those things, if they were only about that, suddenly you could use your arm. And suddenly, I mean, I could tell you why you might not be able to use your arm, because you might have guilt about self-pleasuring or whatever, because of all of those forbidden wishes, all of which would be unconscious. Mm-hmm. Well, Freud thought that that was the pattern, but i we think why, you know, that's just one pattern. And, one
0: pattern, yeah, of many.
1: Yeah, so, the, but there and they're mythic stories, like the Oedipus is a myth, right? But there are yes. stories that are all kinds of mythic stories about betrayal yes. or neglect. And there are all of these universal themes. And we sort of like said, well, we can know what those themes are. And Mm -hmm. we could then determine if the thing you think you want to work on is really it, or if it's just a symptom of this deeper theme. So um, one of them is called the death wish, right? And a death Mm -hmm. wish is you wish you were dead, like suicidal, right? Mm -hmm. Or... Uh, or someone who's supposed to love you, wants you dead, which really Mm -hmm. gets people into trouble with something called projective identification. When you take someone projects something onto you, take it in and they want to kill you. So in order to get their love, you have to be dead. And that happens in a lot of families and it's a challenging pattern, obviously, if you don't know what it is, but the core of it is I want to die.
2: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: And I want to die could be literally, I wish I were dead, but more typically, particularly if it's in another lifetime, It's about having such a traumatic death that you dissociate before you die in the story. And so of course you never know you've died I mean, you know it on one level because you say, well, I must have died, but you never experienced dying because you dissociated, right? It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. and we all know about dissociation, heard stories. It's like, if you're getting beaten up, you know, and, and, and there's a violence towards you and suddenly you're witnessing it from above and it's not happening to you because it's the best choice you could make to get out of your body. But if you do that in a story and then you die, you have a problem. It's sort of like you leave your house, you come back and the house is burnt down, so to speak. There's no place to go. Yes, And so people reenact, and the one of the stories in the book is a story of a woman who came in and um she had a horrific depression. And the way she described her depression, she said, I feel weighed down. I feel helpless. I feel hopeless. I can't move. So mm-hmm. we do our muscle testing to determine, you know, if that was her highest priority, the most important thing to work on. It said no. And then she starts to hyperventilate in front of a whole crowd of people. I don't remember if I told you these stories because I never remember which one. So maybe I read No, I don't
0: like think that. I've heard this one. Well, if I had, yeah. it's, it's been over a year. So, I, <laughs> so no, you so can we tell it
1: again. again. You. Right. I'll tell you again. again unless you know your listeners just listen to the thing anyway right <laughs> but then she starts to ha- hyperventilate in front of all these people like we're in an amphitheater and there are 125 people there and she starts to hyperventilate like literally she has a panic attack in front of all of them and she says i know this is crazy but these people are going to kill me so that's what we must We have to work on and I muscle test that also muscle uh-huh. testing is just a way of accessing the part of us that just knows something and it said that's not the most important thing to work on either and so it finally says the most important thing to work on we do our diagnostic and it said is nothing she said and she doesn't even know what it is and we find out it's this death wish. And when I have her say a part of me wants to die, which is in this case, complete a death process. Well, what we do then is we say, well, what happens in the body when you're fully allowing I want to die? And this woman says, oh, my neck is killing me. Literally, uh, she says. This. Yeah. And she starts violently. And she, we didn't know she didn't, she, she had chronic neck pain because of whiplash. Okay. Interestingly, but she thought that the whiplash was the cause of her chronic pain. Well, when she says, I want to die, suddenly this chronic pain is excruciating in her neck. And she starts violently wrenching her neck from side to side.
0: Uh
1: And so I said, All right, so what you're going to do is you're going to become neck pain. Your name is neck pain. It's no longer Elizabeth, it's neck pain. Right? Uh Neck pain is here right now, and neck pain is a living being who's come to share a story. So Uh what I say to people is what you're going to do, it's like you're an actor and you're going to choose to become in this play you're in or movie or novel. Your new name is neck pain until you find out your name is something else, which Uh in this case was Sylvia. But, you know, so she becomes neck pain from the inside out. And I say, you're going to become neck pain and then. You might become the person who's having neck pain, at which point you'll act it out, or images might come to you if you're visual, and then you'll see pictures like a movie, or if you're auditory, you'll just kind of, like, it's like reading a novel that you're really Mm -hmm. immersed in, and suddenly you know what's going on with the character. Well, you're going to be the character, which is what we do. We're very narrative all right so it's not your narrative it's somebody else's narrative whose name is neck pain until they tell you her name is sylvia Uh so she she becomes neck pain and like she starts violently wrenching her neck which you know i wish i did have this one on videotape yeah it's on audio tape but yeah and she's and then she looks up and she says oh my god there's a guillotine coming down on my head and she's face up and they haven't covered her face right and all she and she's way down. She's helpless. She's hopeless. She can't move because uh-huh. she literally the only thing she can move is her neck they put her in this like stockade thing. She describes it and she can't move any other part of her body. That's called a major depression, right? I'm helping some uh-huh. helpless I'm hopeless, I can't move. Yes. And then she's in front of this whole crowd of people and they're screaming at her and she's screaming at God and saying, I'll never be in front of a crowd of people again. She was a Royal and she thought that she was being nice to them and that I'm a good Christian. And these people are like, you know, they're going to kill me. And like, uh-huh. I'm never going to be in front of a crowd of people again. Well, there's her chronic fear of crowds. Right. Yes. And then we know why she has chronic neck pain because she, you should have seen her. I mean, she's violently, you know, yeah. whiplashing her own neck. Cause she's trying to get away from this thing that's coming down in her head. Cause she can't Aww. handle the idea she's going to die. Right. Yeah. And yeah. then she's screaming at God. And she said, I will never believe in you again. I was a good, I mean, she's saying all this yeah, very yes. fast because things yeah. zipping down. So, so it's almost. But anyway, so, um, and she's saying, I'll never believe in you again. You know, and if we've been lucky enough, right, to have had, you know, a man out there who she thought was her true love, who, betraying her, then she wouldn't have had betrayal in relationships. I mean, it's like, okay, I'll get <laughs> so into one story, right? Uh-huh. So, um, and then she's screaming all this because she's very kinesthetic. She's like living it out, like literally like she's like in a play, except it's very real for her. And then she goes and says, huh, I must have died. So we know what her problem is, right? She didn't yes. know she had died. So she said, I must have died. She had a knowing in her head she must have died, yeah. but she never experienced dying. Why? Because she left. She so left, I her said, body. well, she left her body. So we said, well, here's your problem. All the things in this lifetime that you think were about, you've been in therapy forever about your childhood and everything, were Uh just reenactments of things about that and the sense of betrayal by people who loved you and all these things that you've been working on forever in therapy and you've been doing this work, you know, with your Uh chronic neck pain and you've been doing CBT and... She had done all kinds of things. I mean, yeah. this was like here. She had, she had tried medication. She had tried energy psychology. She had tried everything. But no one had thought to think that the real problem was that she was in the French Revolution as a royal who had her head cut off. So we said, all right. Here's <laughs> yeah, right. You, because you, you It, it mean, takes you, the
0: unusual it, practitioner or, you know, someone who really operates in that realm to, to have that perspective. Like this is a perspective that nobody that. else offered you, essentially.
1: Right. Well, the thing is, that's why I say. I think you have to open to all perspectives.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: That if you can imagine it, it must be true on some level. Otherwise, we couldn't imagine it.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So if anyone says that's crazy, they're in a story where they can't handle something. So they say it's crazy, but it's not mm-hmm. crazy. It's
2: mm-hmm. just a
1: limited perspective. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, so she clears this thing and you know, she I said, here's your problem. You didn't know you died. Okay, so now what you're going to do is instead of leaving automatically because you were so afraid, this time you're going to come fully back into your body. Call all the parts back. You can do your own shamanic work, or I mean, if it's lost all parts of you into that stuff, and not, uh-huh. when you're dissociated, all you have to do is call the parts back. And she does that, and I said, are right, you going to call all the parts back right before you die? And then what you're going to do is you're going to let yourself fully die this time by choice and leave your body this time by choice by right out through the crown of your head. And you know what she says then is really funny. She says, which one? The one that's rolling down the hill or the energetic one that's <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> it was really funny. It's on the it's on the tape. Not a but, question um, you
0: can prepare for as a practitioner, well, right? because
2: well, like, uh,
1: um, She you, knows you she, she, she knew. She said, I know it's the energetic one. The one that's rolling down the hill is irrelevant here. So she <laughs> leaves to the crown of her head and she looks up, she says, I see the light. And she goes to the light. And she has this beautiful smile on her face and she says, I'm done. And you know what happens uh-huh. next? she's, she's there in front of this crowd of people that took about 30 minutes. She's there in front of the crowd of people. All right. So we're in an amphitheater. So they're on all sides of her and they start asking her questions and she starts moving, turning her neck side by side. Uh And after about 30 seconds, she said, this is impossible because I can't move my neck this much. And if I did, I would be in excruciating pain screaming, but I have no pain. Wow. And then she says, wait a second, this is really weird because like, I should be thinking you guys are all going to kill me, but I'm sitting here having a great time with, 125 people, you know, <laughs> yes. of, her, of, her, of her peers who she thought were going to kill. her. she said, I'm, having, I'm like laughing with you. And she said, I feel, I don't feel weighed down and helpless and hopeless anymore. I can feel, I feel lighter. I can even feel the presence of the divine. And wow. she said, I go to all these conferences, you know, because I want to feel like I always feel this a sense of alienation from God. She said, mm-hmm. I can feel that presence. Oh. So beautiful a, amazing story so that's that's a death wish so that's okay <laughs> yes, yes, so well, that's patterns, an extended right? version
0: of the death wish
1: <laughs> that's an extended yes. version of the death wish but there's stories of neglect or mm-hmm. betrayal or or you can't let go with the death wish or bateson's mm-hmm. Bateson's pattern called the double bind, which is an extraordinary pattern, or power patterns, which is a pattern where basically, if you speak or act in an empowered way, something horrific will happen to you. So you have Mm. to deny your own power, which of course, you know, is true for everybody, but it's also very, in patriarchy, it's very true of gender.
2: Mm -hmm. You know,
1: so a lot of girls when they're like, you know, 10 years old, they play out these stories where they can't be themselves anymore. Mm
2: -hmm. And a lot
1: of them is because of culture and a lot of them is because they're in stories where they were healers and priestesses and Mm -hmm. patriarchy comes in and materialism and they all get silenced or killed as witches or whatever. And they Mm -hmm. play it out in this lifetime too. So if you don't know that but once you know that you take care of them as a witch and then they just have to deal with the cultural shit, but at least they don't have to like, they're not reenacting a story Whereas if they come into their power, they'll be burnt at the stake.
0: Right. right? Yes. Right. Yeah.
1: So, and there's a wonderful pattern. Wonderful pattern is really kind of cool because people think that trauma is only about things that are too bad, Mm -hmm. but there are traumas that are things that are too good. Right. And if you can't integrate, something's too good. It's still a trauma because you keep reenacting it, trying to master it,
0: you Mm. know, like, is that like you know, the lottery winners who then like two years later are broke?
1: Probably if <laughs> okay. can't master it or it's <laughs> yeah. like, or it's, or it's like the guy in high school who catches a pass and he's still trying to like, you know, live that out again, you know, in his life and he's talking about it and trying to reenact it, but it never gets there because he had this one moment of glory that was so much better than the rest okay. of his life. It was too good. He could never let it go. Right.
0: Oh Yeah. So he's reenacting a pattern. He's not just annoying at the like. You know, to all of his well, loved
2: ones. <laughs> well, no, he, at the
0: no, at he, the like class reunion, you're just like, dude, yeah, you know, you like, know, you this 20 years annoying. ago. You no, know, he's just
1: in, the trauma it's he's just just in his, a trauma structure. He's just in a trauma structure. Okay. Well, because there are trauma structures around craving as well as as getting away from things, right? If mm-hmm. something is too bad, you have an aversion, you try to get away from it. If something's too yeah. good, it's like you're addicted, and it's like you have a compulsion to try to reenact it in a yeah. good sense, but of course, you never can. Mm-hmm. and it's it's you know it's like if you were had a first love you know or your father does something really great for you and he never did and you look for a guy who will always do something great for you and they never quite live up to it mm-hmm. and it's because you had this moment that was too good that you couldn't handle ah, so ah. you're stuck in that so, so do you become
0: so let me ask about that pattern do you become the feeling of too good mm-hmm.
1: and it's a trauma structure Yeah, because if if you focused on basically, I mean, we have an inductive statement for all of these things, but if you just said, yes, your trauma is something so good happened that you're still stuck in it and you, and you can't be in the present and you feel that in the body, you'll still feel it. It'll just be a craving that will, then you become the sensation again, and you'll Mm -hmm. find out where it originated because we'll say, you know, did it originate in this lifetime or in a past life? If it's past, is it your bloodline? Is it your energy line, which is Mm garmic or genealogical, right? So there are those patterns but there's another category in the uh, triple center patterns called non-material realms. And those are stories of curses of which there are Mm -hmm. different kinds of curses or ghosts that have traumatized you or entities, you know, which are sort of beings that aren't human that are in your field or Mm -hmm. superpositions, which are, you know, energies that take you over and some of them are demonic and some of them are there seemingly for good reasons, but then you become codependent or they're extraterrestrial traumas. And, you know, sometimes you're human and you've been traumatized by extraterrestrials and sometimes you're extraterrestrial and something has traumatized you often on your journey here Mm -hmm. because a lot of people come here from other places, but the journey doesn't go well, or they didn't know certain things or whatever. Mm -hmm. So or there are stories of like when you first come out and become a separate soul and you lose your sense of connection with the divine or source. Mm -hmm. And then you're like saying, I'm, I'm searching and searching for something, you know, like in separation individuation, it's like you race Mm -hmm. out there and you turn around and mother isn't there anymore and you're in big trouble and it's, you know, everything. So there are all these stories that are non-material stories. And some of them are really like, You know, people have worked on things forever and ever and ever and some really horrendous things because Mm
2: -hmm. what the
1: thing we call superimpositions turns people psychotic or they, I mean, I could tell you some stories. And and that's the second category. And then the third category is called, we call them identity patterns. And identity patterns is when your problem is the way you protected yourself from something worse. So the thing you identify as a problem really is a protection, right? Mm -hmm. So like... You know, the story of the woman I told you, her depression was not a protection. But let's suppose somebody else came in with the same problem, depression. But this time it's a protection. Well, what that would say is... The best way they could protect themselves from something worse was to go into a major depression, even if that sounds very strange, right? You say, well, how would a major depression protect you? And then you find out, well, when you were three years old, right, Mm -hmm. you're making a special gift for your father and your father was having a hard time, pushes you away, doesn't accept your gift, walks out on you and drives away. And you stand in the door and you say, I don't care. Right, mm-hmm. so I don't care, which means I'm not going to let my feel self feel this. Well, what's a major depression? It's not feeling. Yeah. So really, if you if that if that experience was so overwhelming that you couldn't let yourself experience just how awful you felt, how how much despair and rage and uh, all of that, you just say I'm going to numb myself, and then whenever anything looks like the original situation, you make the same choice, and your depression. Mm-hmm is just a way of protecting yourself from the fear of annihilation of what would happen if anything looks like the original situation mm-hmm. whether it's your father saying to you like when you ask him to go to your your uh, opening night as a improv group and he says i'm sorry i can't come which he had a good reason for and the boy says in the college which is now 18 years later he says oh yeah that's okay it's no big deal i don't care and the next day he goes into a major depression except for the fact that he didn't know that mm-hmm. he thought there was no precipitant so he thought his whole family thought it was all biological because it was biological depression on both sides they're about mm-hmm. to put him on major meds and his mother um had asked me to see the son and Um, I said, it was a choice you made when you were three, you can make a different choice. Mm -hmm. The thing you call heavy wet oatmeal, which is your depression was something you asked to come in. So if you asked to come in, this is when you're really grateful for your trauma, your, your, your problems. You say, thank you, because without you, I would have been killed, you know, annihilated, but I don't need you anymore. So uh, thank you. And now I can Mm -hmm. just choose to bring you outside of me and the me that chose to do that right? The three-year-old yeah. and I can send them loving light. And when I do that, they just dissolve. And I can find out who I really was, was this creative little boy who's had to cover it over every time someone looks at him funny when he's giving them a gift mm-hmm. and then he gets to be his creative self again. So, mm-hmm. and so it's that that's true, but it's also your personality is a protection too, because mm-hmm. our personalities, believe it or not, a compulsion to protect us from experiencing a fear. Right. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I use the Enneagram and I don't know where you are on the Enneagram. Or maybe you are a giver or something. I don't know where you are. But I, I don't, don't know either. Know
0: I, I take it right. every couple of years and then I promptly forget.
1: That's okay. Where, <laughs> <yeah>. forgetting, <laughs> forgetting is good. But no, <laughs> but the point is that our personalities are just a way to protect ourselves from experiencing a fear we have about ourselves. So, mm-hmm. right. If you, if you're afraid, if you have a core fear that you're bad, right. Yeah. Then you'll compulsively have to be good. And that's called a perfectionist.
2: Mm -hmm. right? So
1: your whole personality, you could say is a compulsion to protect you from a fear that wasn't who you were in the first place, because you're not really bad. I mean, you are bad and you are good, but we give, we give one thing that we're afraid of such power. And then we spend our whole lives instead of being able to say, I can just be with, I'm bad and Uh accept it. Mm -hmm. I have to like Do affirmations to say how good I am, except for the fact that it doesn't work because the core fear is stronger than the affirmations, which makes people crazy. And then they think, why isn't the law of attraction working? It's because the core fear is more powerful than any law of attraction is an affirmation. But the thing is, if you could sit with the core fear, right, I'm bad. Right. Mm-hmm. If I'm a perfectionist, you know, and I'm so bad. I know perfectionists once say I'm so bad that I should be in hell, except for the fact there are other people in hell and I'm worse than them, so I shouldn't even be in hell. I'm so bad. He actually yeah, said that. Yeah. yeah. I said, okay, well, if you could sit with that,
0: uh-huh.
1: well, what does it say? I mean, it's really interesting if you listen to it for those of us who are spiritual. Mm -hmm. What does a core fear say? It says, you know what? You think you can get away from me. You can deny me. You can hate me. You can curse me. You can say I don't exist. You can try to do anything else. You can run away from me. But I promise you, I'll never abandon you. Mm. I was here from the beginning. I'm here right now. I'll always be here. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much you try to distract yourself or curse me or anything, I promise you, I will never leave you. Mm -hmm. But what does the divine say?
0: Says The the same thing. Yeah
1: then we spend our whole life trying to get away from the black hole that we call the, you know, our worst fear, but she's mm-hmm. like, you know, keeps sucking us in, you know, sucks me. Yeah. Because he's like, I'm trying to, take all this energy and you you know, you know, try to prove you're good. or You drink or you like mm-hmm. get sick or you, like get people to tell you how good you are or any of these things, except you never get to experience how good you are because you're trying not to experience how bad you are. Yeah. Whereas if you could do something counterintuitive and say, I will face this black hole. Right. Yes and I'll say, okay, well, what would happen if I just let myself feel the black hole of how awful I am and yeah. not say there's anything wrong, right? Just say yes. and then that opens you to being free. So that's the third category.
0: Okay. Okay. It reminds me, it's like, you know, the death of the ego is, is what we sometimes call that, right? Like the death yeah. of the ego. Let's just go yeah. ahead and kill off the ego. Like there's nothing. Yeah. Well, w-
1: when we're ready to kill off the yes. ego, it's a good thing. If we do it too soon, <laughs> then it's called psychosis. But eventually. Yeah. Well, no, what no, I have it, found
0: is that people, you cannot convince someone to kill off their ego until they're ready. They have to do that process themselves, you know? Um, it, it's not something you can impose.
1: Well, you don't impose it, but like, that's why I love muscle testing. Cause it will tell you, you know, sometimes the thing that you think is psychological is really spiritual. Right? Yes,
0: why? for yeah. sure. For sure.
1: So it's like, no one's running the show. Well, from a psychological point of view, that's a nightmare. Somebody should be driving, you know, <laughs> driving the bus, but from yeah. a spiritual perspective, it's the point that no one's driving the bus. Right? Mm-hmm. So, and if you can determine which one it is, is this person having, you know, sort of some kind of anxiety disorder or is it just existential because it's, they've been waiting to say, I can be with the aspect of being that says no one's in control because mm-hmm. there's no one in control. So anyway, you asked me about patterns. So why And you
0: that? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Truly enjoyable list of, of the major categories. I know you go more into um, the different types in your book, more specifically, Yes, and how, how to work with them.
1: I mean, we give you as much as we can give you in one book, you know. Yes. When we write a second book, we'll tell you even more about it. But we give you enough that you can sort of, I mean, the person who wrote the forward for the book was our editor. She had never done any of it. I mean, one of the two forwards, we had two forwards. Uh And she did this stuff and it was like so freeing for her. or somebody I met, you know, the last, the, the end is someone I met and she was about to go and mow her wand. And she said, I can't mow the wand because I have such horrific allergies. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: I said, well, what would happen? You know, if you thought about your allergies as a story, she was really with it. She was a receptionist in a place that I was working. We were just Mm -hmm. hanging out waiting for me to see the doctor. And she said, well, okay, I can figure that. She figured it out. She said, you know, it's a story of like, something is really dangerous and I've got it wrong because these things shouldn't be hurting me, but I think they're going to, destroy me. And I said, what would happen if you just allowed allergies and allowed that belief you have that someone who's supposed to like, you know, you can't tell who's your enemy and who's your friend and the world is dangerous. You have to protect yourself from things you didn't even have to protect yourself from. So I said, you know, go into your body, feel that in your body and just notice the sensation and drop in and become it. And she drops in and she, her face changes. He said, I know what's going on. I'm not going to tell you. Mm -hmm. okay but she said i don't believe it so i go back to the doctors two weeks later and she runs out she was in the back she said it works it worked i went and mowed my lawn and like no allergies i have the worst allergies in the world so she said i've been telling everybody about this and you know so that's why i said you can do your own work all you have to do is drop in
0: yeah so it's funny because i have a hypnosis for allergies it is probably one of the first ones before i was certified first ones um I listened to and people are always really surprised that you can do any kind of hypnotic trance or process for allergies because they think of it as mm-hmm. so physical, you know, like yeah. so physical, but absolutely. There's some um, modification you can do. Let's say. I Pretty still have to sure. listen to it from time to time, but perhaps next time I'll go into <laughs> to the feeling more rather than putting on the recording.
1: <laughs> well, the thing about going into the feeling is that you learn things that you wouldn't necessarily do if your idea was symptom relief. Right. Right. Yes. So yeah. like, if you ask me what it's come to share and it says like, I'm a traumatized little girl whose mother was trying to smother her. Mm-hmm. And so of course I'm going to have allergies because like something that's supposed to love me is going to try to like, make it so I can't breathe. Oof. Yes. So, right. So the reason I think this is so powerful is That you're it's not like you're saying anything is wrong or I'm trying to get rid of anything. It's like it's Mm -hmm. trying to reveal something that if you can learn it, you could say, Oh my God, I can be in a whole different relationship with mother. I can be in a whole different relationship with people who are authorities. And also, by the way, I can get rid of my allergies.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. You're changing on many different levels we've had like a really good conversation about this book it is written in my perspective i think i think you say this in the beginning too it's written for both the individual the person wanting to do work for themselves on themselves as mm-hmm. well as the the practitioner like the professional person
1: it is we were going to write two books um the first one was going to be a popular book and the second one was going to be for professionals and when we told our agent he said you know because we wrote the first one was a self-help book uh-huh. Right. It was going to be a self-help book. And he liked our stories, though. He said, how long is the book going to be? He said, well, probably 25,000 words. He laughed. He said, that's not a book. It's a pamphlet. You've got to make it at least twice as long. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the only way we could make it twice as long was to talk in much more detail about the patterns. Because we mm. were going to talk very little about them. So the book that was supposed to be twenty five thousand words turned out to be a hundred thousand.
2: Whoa! And
1: yeah, it's a long book, but it's fun. I I mean, it's it's not like well, you tell them. You, I mean, I don't. It know, is. It's to fun.
0: It. Like I said, like I loved the book, and I did find it helpful um, personally and as a hypnotherapist myself. I found it really helpful. Um, it definitely. I remember one case that I was working on, and you know, I won't go into details just for confidentiality reason, but I felt like. Oh my God, thank God I had just read Andy's book because it just saved me in this moment. <laughs> Meaning, like I hadn't, I would have had no idea what to do. And not only that, it was a um let's say a pattern for myself where I had gotten stuck before when when I was doing yeah. some more spiritual kind of hypnosis, I'd gotten stuck before there. And so all of a sudden I felt like, oh, I, I know where to go with this. And it turned out to be a beautiful session. As a practitioner, I definitely found it helpful. So tell people where to find it.
1: Okay. Well, you can find it on, you can go to Amazon and it's called The One Hour Miracle and you can pre-order the book. It comes out on March 15th, but if you go or if you don't want to go to Amazon, you can go to Simon & Schuster because... Our publishing company, which is called Health Communications Inc., is a, a subsidiary of Simon and Schuster. So you can go there too. Amazon, of course, will send it to you and get it to you right there on the fifteenth. And soon there'll be an audio book. It's not come out yet, which I really want to hear because, like you know, I can't wait to hear somebody who's a professional reading this book. But, yeah. But that will be there too. But the easiest way, you just go to Amazon and you put in the one hour miracle, and you will find it, and you can buy it, and if you when is this going to go on the air?
0: Um before March fifteenth. So <laughs> I don't know the before exact date, but we can we can well, look at it. I will say really to quick.
1: people we've been told I know nothing about this stuff, but you know, if you get if you actually hear this before March 15th and you pre-order the book, it'll be a great gift to us because apparently every pre-order makes it more likely we get to be on wonderful shows like this. Oh, awesome. And we get and you know, we get better book reviews and all that kind of stuff. So and I mean I'm really Obviously, I'm passionate about this because, you know, I want the whole world to know about it. You know, I mean, people don't know a couple of things. If you know that every time there's something you can't handle and you have some anxiety about it, if you scan your body, you'll notice a body sensation. And if you choose to become the body sensation, it's come to share a story. Mm-hmm. Or every time you have some kind of pain and you're miserable about it, like a headache or something, or back pain or something, mm-hmm. if you just for one second choose to bring all your awareness to it so you're it from the inside out or the bottom up and say, I don't know what you've come to share. Just like mm-hmm. if you're, you know, you're Elizabeth, I wouldn't say, well, I know what's going on with Elizabeth. No, I'd say, Elizabeth, tell us your story. Yes. And it's the same thing with the body sensations. And people don't understand that. They even say, most somatic people, they say, if your sensation could talk, what would it say?
2: Mm-hmm. That'd be like
1: I would say to you, Elizabeth, if you could talk, Elizabeth, what would you be saying? No, you'd say, Elizabeth, tell us what you want to tell us, right? Yeah. yeah. So you don't want to mediate it through head. It's like it's just there. And whatever comes to you, it's their story. Yes. And even if you say, and I, the key is if you say, when you know you're suffering about something, if I say, what are you feeling in the body? And people say, well, people can't get in their body. I say, what are you talking about? They say, well, they say to me, well, I'm not feeling anything. And then you know what you say? If I ask what you're feeling and you say, I'm not feeling anything, well, you know what that means? you're having a feeling called i'm not feeling anything and if you say to somebody <laughs> yeah. what are you feeling in your body i'm not feeling anything i've not had one person yet believe it or not who couldn't tell me if it was in their head or in their chest or in their gut or in yeah. their arms or whatever and then you say all right so you're going to become the sensation of i'm not feeling anything in the arms and yeah. then it will share its story and it doesn't matter the beauty of this is it doesn't matter where." I'm also hypnotic. That's how you found me in the first place. You know, I've talked to people, they all go into trance anyway. It's just scary. Even when I don't want them to, they go into (laughs) trance. But, you know, you don't have to relax anybody, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if they can visualize or not, because as far as I can tell, life doesn't care if you're kinesthetic, auditory, or visual. So whatever you (laughs) say when you're the sensation is their story. And you know, and it's there right now. You're not regressing anybody, so you can't re retraumatize and people get worried, you mm-hmm. know, what happens if I send them back into age two? And the answer is you're not regressing them. That two-year-old is here. And if you choose to become the two-year-old you, then you identify with the one who's choosing to do it. And mm-hmm. then bearing witness and holding that one, you don't identify with that one,
0: mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
1: And so you can't be re traumatized.
0: Right. Yeah. And it is just a it's a slight shift but it's a powerful one.
1: It is for me anyway, because I mean, theoretically, my client actually is life as it reveals itself to you and with you and through you through body sensations, which is just dense life. Mm-hmm. Wanting to go back into its pure form, which is energy, which is why at the end of that session of that woman who had that chronic pain in her neck, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't there anymore. It went back from being madder, yeah. Right? The power of one to the speed of light squared. It went back to being pure energy yeah. and the way, you know, it is that pain is just gone.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Thank you so much, Andy, for being on the podcast again. And um, hopefully I'll have you back in the future as well. Oh. But I've learned so much again today after reading the book, but it's always just such a pleasure
1: to And speak the book thanks you. you. The book, the book <laughs> thanks you because
0: yeah. if the book could talk, what would it say? It's Thank you, Elizabeth.
1: <laughs> the book can talk. The book has been talking. The book talked to us. I mean, you know, it kept yes. saying, you, you know, you have to do better here. <laughs> said, like, if you're going to put me out right. in the world, baby, you have to treat me better. <laughs> did.
0: Right. The link to the book will be in the show notes as well. And again, you can find it anywhere they sell books. And if
1: they want, they can also get it through our website yeah they can go to lifecentertherapy.com and they can find us there too so if you do both of those things somehow they'll find us and thank god they found you
2: because (laughs) yes